Welcome back, everybody. It's Dribble Drive Podcast, episode 16. This is Nigel, and as always, my partner in crime, James. Uh, today, we have a very special guest on the podcast. This man is Hofstra's all-time leading scorer, got his jersey retired, second all-time in the CEA in scoring behind Hall of Famer David Robinson, ABA League Finals MVP, 2012 NBA draft pick, Brooklyn's own Charles Jenkins. Charles, how are you doing today, man? I'm uh, doing pretty good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, James, how, how are you doing? I'm doing great. In the process of moving from one apartment to the next, but uh, definitely took the time out to talk to uh, probably Hofstra, one of Hofstra's greatest basketball players ever. <laughs> you got Stevie, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm behind Stevie, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, again, Charles, we really appreciate you being on the pod. And, uh, you know, we, we gave you that little, you know, nice little Hofstra intro and obviously us being Hofstra graduates. Um, you know, we want to start off the bat and just, you know, obviously, like we said, you are the Hall of Time scoring leader, had your jersey retired. I was actually at the, um, I was at both of those, and uh, which was awesome. I had the little t-shirt jersey that had your little, like, you know, the, the blue one. And I just want to start off by asking, you know, what, it, what did all that mean to you, just having jersey retired, breaking the scoring record? What, what, what did that mean to you? We were both wondering, you know, what went into the process of you, you know, picking a mid-major and, and actually picking Hofstra? That's a hell of a story. 
Yeah, that's that's that is definitely a hell of a story. Just kind of the rolling the dice. That's interesting. I, I do have one question, and I, I don't know if you've been really following the recent buzz around you know prospects like Zion Williamson and and certain guys like that with regards to like the EYBL and other high end uh, shoe company driven you know, grassroots basketball campaigns. Uh, so how do you really, you know, what's your opinion on those, you know, new age basketball tournaments or, or kind of just those in that environment? I like it a lot. For the, um, just for the kids just having an um, opportunity to continue to play and uh, showcase their talents around uh, as many coaches as they can. You know, with social media now, um, I think it makes everything uh, easier for the kids as far as, you know, putting themselves out there. And I've, I wish we had social media when I played, but um, I think it's great. You know, um, do I think they play too many games? Yeah, they play a lot. They feel like the, I think uh, the AAU circuit is more important than high school basketball. I do yeah, I, I mean, you're much. right. It's, it's crazy. I mean, just the other day, I think LaMelo and, and Zion Williamson shut down the, the Las Vegas gym that I mean, they told LeBron he couldn't even go. But, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, like, that wasn't anything popular during your time. No, nah, not really. I mean, you had your I, during my time. We had the internet was I mean, it wasn't how it is now, but I mean, you had, you had the the rankings. You know, like what player was rated the best in the country at that at that time. So you know that kind of created a buzz as far as you know which team was playing and they showcased each player. But now it's I think those dudes have like a million followers on social media. So they're like <laughs> it's it's insane. It's, it really without, is. Without it's ridiculous. Yeah, Lamelo has like. I think two and a half million Instagram followers. I mean, he's more of a celebrity than guys in the NBA. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think now with social media, it's all about your brand. And, you know, he's, he's done a great job at, you know, building his. And, and, you know, I think I saw his name at, like, in the bottom of an ESPN alert. And he's still in high school. So I think that's <laughs> great. You know, any type of exposure that you can get, I think it's, I think it's good for him, for them. Yeah. Go ahead. Staying on track with, with you know Hofstra and be, being from New York, what did it mean to to you as a native New York and as a native Brooklyner to to win the Haggerty Award three times with you know I mean Chris Mullen has won it from St. John's. I, I think Ron Artesta or Meta World Peace has won it. Being from New York and going to a New York school, what was what did that mean to you? Uh, I mean, it's a lot. I'm the first year. Um, my first, my first freshman season, um, I got rookie of the year. 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 I didn't know much about the award, you know, other than you know, coaches talking to, to meet him in his office and to wear a suit because uh, we had to go to a dinner. And you know, as I, you know, got there and I started to read the um, the pamphlets that they had and sort of past players that uh, won the award, you know, who wouldn't want to be considered uh, the best player in the Tri-State area? So. So that summer, I, I remember just working as hard as I can, and coaches continue to say that you're going to win the Haggerty. I knew what it was. It, I, I mean, didn't know the importance of it, you know. And uh, once I got in my uh, sophomore year, I, mean, I wanted to continue to show growth. I was able to get it the next year. Uh, a true blessing. So, so after Hofstra, you know, you you won the Haggerty Award three times, became the the all-time leading scorer at Hofstra. You know, second all-time to David Robinson. Then came the the NBA Combine. Being you know, Hofstra didn't have the the you know the the top dogs, the the NBA 
or the NCAA college blue blood programs like the UCLA's, you know, or even, you know, like the Gonzaga's of the world. So when you got to that NBA combine, did you really think this was your time to put the Charles Jenkins name uh, on display? Yeah, because, you know, um, all the accolades that I've had, all the accolades that I've had in my career, how sure, I think they all went, went out the window. You know, because when we walked into the combine, I walked into guys that had, like, I play a year, you know, national champion. So I think it was more about me, um, you know, taking the fact that how didn't get his hand on my mind exposure so far did. And just using it as a sort of motivation to try to go out and prove that I can play, you know, no matter what conference I came from. Nice, man. Well, you know, as we know, you uh, you were drafted by the Warriors um, in the NBA draft, second round. Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about, you know, your time in the Warriors organization. You were in a draft class with, I believe, Jeremy Tyler and Clay Thompson. Those those guys went along with you with, at the Warriors so, yeah, just tell us about, you know, hearing your name get called, hearing Charles Jenkins from Hofstra, and your time with the Warriors and what that experience was like for you. Um, I think uh, the, night of, the night of the draft might have been the most uh, stressful um, just time of my life. Um, you know, during the draft, you hear all these, uh, you know, you got NBA Draft.net, you got uh, Draft Express, you got the chat board, um, draft that you got to that you purchase and it tells you where you're going to go and yep. you know there's a lot of things that go into it and you, know, you have an idea of the range that you're going to be you're going to be in and you know then sometimes if you're reading up on yourself you start to you know it starts to get to your head a little bit you think you're going to go a certain number in my case I, I thought I was going to go um 28 to the Bulls um but you know and then when the draft might come and 28, 28 gets there and you hit at the Bulls, traded a pick, you know, things like that start to play and then you see teams uh, on the list that you, that you never worked worked out for that are, you know, got the next five picks and then you start to, you know, really question yourself and if you're going to get picked at all. And I remember, you know, uh, being really upset at my agent, just thinking that I wasn't going to get my name called. I didn't get what number it was once the second round started. You know, I had all my family in the hotel and the city and we were all anxious. <laughs> we were all like, you know, kind of tapping our feet, cringing our teeth the whole time until uh, the 43rd pick was. Uh, 43rd pick, I believe it was. I think it was Malcolm Lee to to Timberwolves. I think. And yeah, to the Timberwolves. Around, around that time, I was, uh, I was just out of it. Because I know once the 50s hit, that's normally all the European guys are fast. And it was at 43, and that's when I got a call from my agent. He was like, uh, you know, enjoy with your family, and congratulations. And Adam Silver announced my name on TV. So it was just uh, like a sigh of relief. It was a lot of emotion, a lot of different emotions, I want to say. And one hour, like up and down from my dad just telling me to relax, my mom just telling me to relax, it's going to happen. To, you know, thinking in your head that it's not going to happen. But when it finally happened, everyone was excited. You know, uh, we had a it was 12 there, so it ended up being a great night for me. So you, before we get into your time with the Warriors, you said you thought you were going to 28 to the Bulls. Did you, was that based off of like a workout and then somebody in the organization said, yeah, we're, 
were thinking about taking you or, or was it more of a gut feel or did, did you have something that, that made you think, or your agent maybe, somebody tip you off to the Bulls? I mean, after you work out, you get, you get great, you get feedback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you didn't play well, you know, the NBA, they really, they really honest people. So, if you didn't play well and you work out, you know, it's known. And if you play well, there's interest, you know, they deal out. So, I figured they had two picks. And at the time, they were looking, they were looking for, you know, combo guards. They were looking, they were looking for guards. They ended up taking Jimmy Butler, I think, at 30. So, hmm. not a bad player. I wasn't. I was. I was you know, leaning towards it. I mean, I had. I got good feedback from Detroit at 34. But they ended up taking Shelvin Mack. So, I mean, it, you can. They can tell you whatever, but at the same time, you know, when you pick, it's kind of like when you're in the park and you're picking. You know, you're, you're picking. So you're picking up a team with a with another guy. You know, and he picks someone, and then you got to change. You know, who you initially wanted because. So are you like? Are you like Draymond, where you can name like every player that was drafted ahead of you? I'm sure you've seen that video. It's pretty hilarious. Nah, I let, I let that go a long time ago. <laughs> I had my time like writing names, names down and stuff like that, but nah, I didn't, I didn't take it uh, to that extreme. So, um, the, uh, you know, we just mentioned Draymond, and you know, you played with the likes of uh, Draymond only for a little bit, but uh, you know, certainly Stephen Clay. Um, I want we do want to ask you what your experience was playing with those guys specifically, but before we do that, just you know, just tell us, you know, everybody loves the Warriors now. They're the trendy, trendy, you know, bandwagon pick. But what was it like for you personally, just playing with the organization and uh, you know the coaching staff, and just you know, it's it's always been a top class organization. But until they started winning, I don't think people really gave it that credit. But just tell us what it was like for you, and you, you know, you were able to get some starts later in your your first season, which I'm sure was awesome. So just tell us about your experience being in the Warriors Warriors organization. season was did was he the Draymond that we all knew or that we all know currently uh, that loud uh, very you know forceful 
player on the court. Was he like that, or was he ever, you know, maybe somewhat quiet? <laughs> nah, not at all. The same, same Draymond that you see. Same now. old Draymond? The same Draymond that, that he was back then. Uh, from the beginning, he was really confident in himself. Um, you know, kind of letting it be known that, you know, he, he's ready to, you know, take the next person's spot that's in front of him. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. I think for him, it was it was more about making the adjustment um, from college to as far as the pace adjustment, as far as from college to the NBA. But as far as the game and the knowledge, I mean, he had that from, from the moment he stepped on the floor. You know, his basketball bikes was really hot. Uh, he's a, a really tough competitor. And trash talk, you know, he was doing it. He was doing that from the moment, you know, summer league practice began. He was in there, you know, same dream on what you see now. But I think he's so he's under a microscope now. So it's like you know, everything he do is blown out of proportion. But you know, he's always been this guy. Yeah, so so we were talking, you know, Draymond is a former teammate of yours, as was uh, Clay and Steph. W- was there was there anything, maybe a story you could share with us about either Steph or Clay or both, where you kind of, like, got the feeling, like, is there something that you saw where you're like, wow, these guys are going to be special, or did it, did that develop over time, or, or was that immediate? Like, is there anything that you saw that you were like, damn, like, Clay is going to be, like, a lights-out scorer that Steph is like the best shooter in the world or whatever is there is there anything that sticks out to you that about either of those guys or both when, when you play with them um well for Clay I mean I have to tell you more about Clay because me and Clay lived in the same building so I was around him uh almost every day um uh, we played when during the lockout when we got drafted there was that big NBA lockout so it was like three months or four months without playing and we all met up in, uh, in Las Vegas and played in this uh, this Impact Basketball League. And, I mean, the first game, the first experience playing against, you know, other NBA players, playing 40 points. Wow. So, I mean, I had no idea who he was. Um, I know he was a lottery pick, but I, as a player, I had no idea who he was. You know, as the, as the year, year went, on, went on, you can see uh, how much discipline he had as far as, um, Know, his shot, you know, shooting the same way all the time, uh, landing in the same spot, you know, not leaving the gym until he. Sh- Some people play on um, workout and they, you know, let's make ten spots, ten shots this way, and ten ten shots at this spot, and, and you know, go around. That's normally how some people work out. But one thing I remember about Clay is, you know, he didn't he didn't leave when he made ten. You know, he left when he when he shot the same shot, the same release point every time. That's when he was able to you know, move to the next spot. He wanted to make sure he had the same technique for every shot. And I think, you know, once I saw that, I was like, man, that's the type of discipline that, you know, you can't teach. You know, if that's something you're, you're born with. Nice, man. Well, let's um, let's talk about your, you know, your current situation. Uh, tell us where you're playing, what that experience is like, and, you know, how it compares to your, you know, other overseas stops that you've made post, uh, post-NBA. Resting 
treat him until it's time for the game. But, I mean, the club is, is Kim, Key, Kim Key. They're located in Moscow. Um, they're a EuroLeague team, which is great. EuroLeague is the uh, top competition out there. And it's just, you know, the only thing that I know so far about it is cold. When it comes to, to EuroLeague and, and finding these you know, these new teams, do you look when you know you know your incoming situation? I saw that there was a you know Tyler Honeycutt and a few other former you know college players. Do you look for situations that might have more than uh, you know two you know two Americans on the team just so you can have you know at least a few people to talk to, or is it really uh, similar to the NBA where you're looking to win now uh, and just get into the best situation? Yeah, I mean, it's about the best situation. I mean, each team in Europe, they're going to have two Americans on there. That's not the problem. It's more more about, you know, uh, your opportunity. Uh, Of course, you know, making money and, you know, being somewhere where at least, you know, you can, your family can fly there without a problem. Not that, you know, uh, too much time to hang with your family and take people back home, so. I think that's, that's what I look for. I mean, I look for opportunities as far as the coaching staff. I mean, you never really know the players until you get there, no matter if it's an American or you know, a Russian. So that never changes. And, you know, an opportunity for my family to come out there. That's what I care about. Yeah, so as you said about, you know, getting into the best situation, with the current D-League format, with, you know, more teams each year getting their own per- their own team affiliate, how does that, you know, have you ever thought about trying to, to come back over, possibly getting a two-way contract and going that route back through the NBA? Or is the D-League, or not the D-League, excuse me, is the EuroLeague just uh, better for, for money situations, financial reasons? The EuroLeague is way better for money situations, but at the same time, I have my own, I don't know, I have my own opinion on the D-League and how things work over there. It's a little confusing to me, but... I mean, I think coming out of college for those guys to you know, sign those contracts, that two-way contract they had, I think it'll be a good situation because they're still young and you can spare yourself a year, you know, not making as much. But for me, I'm 28, and I'm looking at maybe six years left in my career, so I can't afford to, to you know, leave money on the table for a quote-unquote opportunity to make it back into the NBA. I do have a weird thing about the D-League. Um, I always wondered if the D-League, if someone wins D-League MVP, right, shouldn't that guarantee them a job in the league? Yeah, I mean, you know. I mean, we, you're right. If, if you would think that a D-League MVP should get, you know, some sort of call-up. I think yeah. what Xander Blue uh, Vander just Blue. signed a, a contract with the Lakers, but he had to fight for that. But, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Right, and, and you know, to your point, Charles. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Charles. And the blue been the best, one of the best players in the league for the last two, three years. 
Yes, same with uh, same with like Quinn Cook. Quinn Cook's getting bounced around, and he's same. he's killed it every opportunity he's had. Did you think um, he'd make this this sort of leap? I mean, you, you know, you didn't play with him as much, but you know, and you saw him get hurt and everything. But did you see him making this this crazy jump? Were there any, or um, were you as surprised as most people were with Steph? No, I wasn't as surprised. I wasn't as surprised as everybody else. I mean, that summer before uh, my, my second season, you know, he worked extremely hard. Even the games when I was a rookie, the games that he played, he was healthy, a hundred percent. He played, you know, the same way, he, the same way that he plays now. Like it wasn't. I mean, was he shooting from almost half court? No, he wasn't <laughs> doing that. But he was, you know, the same moves. You know, the same, you know, quick, quick release. You know, if he's open, if he was open back then, you know, it was guaranteed that he was gonna make it. And you know, I mean, of course, he got a lot, a lot much better from that time. But I mean, you would be a fool if you didn't notice. You know how good he was when he. Uh, healthy that year. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. So, um, uh, you know, are you are you happy overseas? Was it a little bit of a like a culture shock going out there? Um, you know, obviously you're a little bit more seasoned now. Um, yeah. So, what was that like just initially going over there? I was, it was, I was ready to leave from the moment I, I landed on the plane. Landed on the plane, uh, just to. You know, you start to see signs that's not in English. Uh, you know, people that's trying to speak English is not, it's not fluent. You know, it's, it's, you know, their, their tense is wrong. You know, they might be using, I don't know, saw instead of see. Or, <laughs> you know, it was, it was difficult. And, uh, when you get when you get to training camp up there, you, you know, you got a roommate. And you don't have that much of uh, your own personal space when it comes to, um, like being on a being on the road, and I mean, it's a little bit like college, kind of how strict college was, mm-hmm. and it was just something that I had to get used to. I mean, it wasn't after a while. It was I don't have a problem you know, being alone with people, but it was just an adjustment. You know, and you're basically on your own, you know, until you know the day of the game. So if you land in a city, you know, you can you know you can go out to dinner, you know, see friends, and, and you know, hang out if you want to. Do whatever you have to do to get yourself ready for the game, you know. But you know, in Europe is more so. You know, this is what time you land. This is what time you eat. This is what time you get to bed. So it was a, a, a little bit of, of an adjustment. But you know, like you said, I'm, I'm seasoned now, so it's, I mean, it's more second nature to me now. What, what's the craziest crowd? Not well, NBA or I guess Europe. But what, what's the what's the craziest crowd that you've encountered? Crowd. Yeah. Serbia, there's um, there's a rivalry, one of the biggest rivalries in Europe, it's, uh, Partizan against Red Star, and I play for Red Star, so we share the same gym. So um, <laughs> practice, 
we play, we practice from six to eight. They, they practice from eight to ten, and and we play against each other. Our locker rooms are connected, so it's, it's, it's a really big derby. And um, the fans are allowed in the gym, and you know, when, when there's Serbian league, anything's allowed. So you can throw, you can throw coins on the court, you can throw lighters on the court, you can throw those little um, M80s on the floor, and you can throw, you know, you know, like if you were, um, like if your car breakdown or something we have those flares yep you know fans fans out there they, they throw that sometimes so I think that's as far as like atmosphere a basketball atmosphere that's a little bit that's just a basketball team and, and more of a you know European soccer atmosphere if you know how that is it's just in a small gym I think that's the craziest thing I've seen just we're in a timeout uh, of a, a cup game and one of the fans from the opposing team threw a flare into our huddle that's crazy. Were the players that lived around there? Were they like, yeah, you know, just get used to it, or were any were any of them like, what yeah. the fuck's going on? Yeah, my first time I was more annoyed by it. Like, you know, this is not basketball at all. How was it allowed? Or more importantly, how was the person that threw it? You know, not being kicked out of the gym, but you know, I played three seasons there, so you know, at this point, when I played there last year and things like that happened, I wasn't even phased by it. Wait for the, the flare to burn out, kick it to the side of the court, or you know, kick the coins and the lighters on the side of the court and continue to play. What uh, what made you want to switch gears and, and change teams? Um, just, uh, the European market. Um, Russia is like one of the highest you know, places that pay the most for their players, and you know I had a you know amazing opportunity to play for um, this the, the new coach. I mean, well, to play against this new coach. Coached at Barcelona last year, and I got the job in um, Russia. And, you know, he you know, had a lot of interest in you know, signing me. You know, I had a, um, another year uh, to play in Serbia, but you know, this Russian club paid my buyout, and you know, I signed with them. You, know, you get a chance to play out there, you know, no matter how far it is financially, uh, it's a really good opportunity for you. Is, is there any part of you that? Would love to get back and, and play ball in the states, or are you kind of comfortable with what you're doing for now? I mean, for sure, I would love to, you know, have the opportunity to be back and you know be able to you know, see your family all the time and, and you know, play in front of your friends and things like that. But I mean, you know, part of yourself has to be realistic. You know, if the NBA really wanted you, they'll come get you. You know, I've been out what about five years now. And they didn't come back for me yet, so. I'm more about, you know, I'm doing the most that I can right now um, to, to continue to play as well as, you know, still being able to, you know, take care of myself as well as my family. So, you know, if the opportunity comes, you know, I'll be more than, more than happy to jump back and play out here. But until then, you know, uh, my career is in Europe, so it's just how it is. Gotcha. James, you got any, uh, you got any additional questions? No, I, I, I don't have any additional questions. It was you know a pleasure talking with you, Charles. It's great learning the you know talking about your journey from small time recruit from, from New York to winning you know all these great games for us here at Hofstra and now just being a, a constant professional over in Europe. It's I, I don't know if you follow basketball Twitter all too much, but there's a European League Twitter is pretty popular, and I follow some some pretty big known 
big name writers, and they always talk about Charles Jenkins, the, the one of the best perimeter defense defenders in all the Euro League. So I don't know what it is, but it seems like you're doing something correct over there. How sick is that? That I'm, I went from all time scorer to a perimeter defender. <laughs> It, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, they they just sit there, and I, I'm you know bored one day at work. So I'm Charles Jenkins, and I'm like, they're like one of the best perimeter on ball defenders in all Europe. And I'm like, damn, that guy dropped so many points when I was a freshman, hungover on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Now he's defending you know Sergio Lull or you know. Oh, I do have one question. This is one last question. What do you think about Luka Doncic, the the 17 year old supposed prodigy from Real Madrid? Have you played him? That kid is. A- yeah, he's a stud, man. He's gonna. Be he's he's that good. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how his game is gonna uh, transfer over to the NBA because the European style is, is, is different. You know, uh, I think the NBA is designed to display everyone's individual talent. You know, that's why the rules are a lot more one-on-one and scoring much higher than in like a European game. But I mean, to be seventeen, he's playing in. Top league on the best team, one of the best teams in Europe, Real Madrid, and you know he's what he's like six five, six six. He can handle it really well. Um, he's not super athletic, but you know he can score the ball and he can also you know uh, make the right decisions. You know he's always poised, he's like not work. to be seventeen and playing in the Euro League, which is really important, and to be super relaxed all the time. You know that's that's unbelievable. We played against him the first time he got hurt, so I didn't really get to see him. But the second game, I got to see, you know, everything that he has off. You know, he's long, he can defend, um, he can pass really well, uh, he can finish with both hands. I think he's going to be real good. He's, he's projected to be, what, the number one pick next year? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's him, you know, Michael Porter Jr., uh, potentially Marvin Bagley if he reclassifies. It, it's, a, it's a loaded draft, and... As you said, thank God for social media and the internet because I can just go online and you know type in Real Madrid versus you know Grand Canaria, yeah. and you can pull yeah. up some game. You know, you pull up all you know hour and a half of uh, the game right afterwards. It's it's yeah. amazing. It's different too because normally like like guys like uh, Giannis that play for the Bucks when he got drafted, he didn't play in he didn't play in like you know top European competition. He didn't play in Euro He played. I think he played like. Maybe like second, second division team. You know, they saw the potential on him, but I mean, to him to be 17 and doing what he's doing against the highest level of competition you can play in Europe, you know, I think that says a lot about him. You now, if he get here to the states at 18 or 19, you know, get given the getting the right the right team and be able to you know grow as a player and get the same type of freedom as you know most lottery picks get, you know, I think he'll be you know a really good basketball player. No, definitely. Uh, just one more question before we wrap up. Do you uh, do you keep in touch with the Hofstra Athletics or, or any guys that are in the NBA nowadays or either, either of those things? Yeah, I mean, I still talk to Clay a lot. Uh, I spoke to Clay uh, early in the year. Um, Clay actually looked out for my, my, one of my boys, actually. Got us some tickets uh, to a game and let him in his house. So, you know, we're still, we're still pretty close. Um, Hofstra... Um, I spoke to I speak to the coach a lot, uh, Coach Mahalik, um, during the season uh, through email, through text, you know, after a win or something. Or, you know, if they want to know any information about, you know, any you know 
players in Europe that's trying to come to um, the States. So now that I'm, I've been here for so long, I've been, I can be able to kind of, you know, give them a scout on uh, who they're looking for or, or, or who they need to talk to. So um, I still keep the same relationship with guys like that. And uh, NBA, uh, Harrison sometimes. Yeah, no, it's awesome, Charles. And you know, again, we're um, you know we're really thankful that you that you join our pod. And you know, we'll definitely you know we'll upload this. We'll tag you. Um, let's see, the Jenkins twenty two on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, uh, and Charles, if you if you ever uh, see if you ever think about coming over and to, to you know to do the the basketball tournament, the TBT. Me and Nigel will be happy to sponsor your team, whatever <laughs> team it is. We'll be there. Just let us sit at um, the end of the bench. I think I think I'm gonna play next next year. All right, we'll mark it down. Yeah. We'll, we'll put some money down on you. We're we're betting the house on you, Charles. We'll wear our t-shirt jersey, Hofstra jerseys. <laughs> once we get our team together, for sure, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Cool, man. Well, well, this should be posted probably tomorrow. We'll, um, you know, again, man. Thanks so much for being on the pod. And uh, you know we wish you the best of success, um, you know wherever you land, and we'll, we'll we'll be rooting for you. Good luck in Russia. Thanks a lot. Have a safe flight Wednesday. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, man. We will uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, sure. All right, later.